HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. Wisconsin cheesemakers produce over 600 varieties, types, and styles of cheese. That's twice as much as any other state. Learn more about Wisconsin's cheesemaking history at wisconsincheese.com. Welcome to HR and Happy Hour. It's 5 o'clock somewhere, and somewhere is Bushwick. My name is Kat Johnson. I'm the Communications Director here at HRN, and I'm here with Hannah Forden, our Program Manager. Thank wow. you. Thank you, everyone. We've got a really live audience here today, because <laughs> they're excited. We have a, like, if you could see what's happening in the studio right now, it's very exciting. There's a lot of very um, technologically advanced, very delicious things that will be happening. There are tools on the table that I can't tell you what they are. Couldn't possibly. We'll take some photos and videos to make sure that you get to the full experience of what's happening here today, but you'll probably hear a lot of interesting sounds that you don't normally hear on happy hour. We're going to try some cocktails and some bites in just a second. I'm not going to spoil what it is. We'll get to it in a so moment. So excited. Okay, but this will give you a hint because today's guests... Oh, wait, before we get to our guests, we have some other fun people in the studio. We have two of our new interns, Kevin and Nicole. Say hello. Hello. Hey guys. And our engineer Matt is in the studio. Hello. Hi Matt. Um, Matt, make sure you sneak in here and get some uh, things to try in a minute. Oh yeah, I was going to forget to do that. Yeah. Um, our guests today are Miriam Hendricks, the master distiller for Ruta Gin. Correct me? Perfectly said. Oh, thank you. And she's also a food scientist. And we're going to get into what uh, science-y cocktails we're going to have in just a moment. Our second guest is wearing a chainmail glove. And that's because he is the founder of New York Oyster Week. And he, yes, is going to do some shucking. His name is Kevin Joseph. Welcome, Kevin. Thank you for having me. Um, okay, Kevin, really quick before we start. Can you just kind of give us a, like, audio tableau of what you have going on here yeah what are we looking at yeah can we, and we this can is very space age instagram stories yes absolutely right. well um what we have here is a cold smoker i stole this from bartenders basically it's a, a cold smoker so it's a a way in which i can cold smoke oysters wow and we have some horseradish root we're about to have some wasabi root out so i'm just trying to dig all this stuff out of my bags because we're launching New York Horse Week tonight, and I have multiple toolkits here, as you can see. So, so to describe what this looks like, it, um, the the cold smoker is is kind of a. It looks like 
it, it could be something for extracting one's brain in a in a sci-fi movie. It's sort of a, <laughs> a, a clear dome with a pipe coming off of it that attaches to. Is this a what is this? That's this a, is a smoke blowtorch. Oh, that's a, smoker. a oh my goodness. That's a blowtorch that lights it, and then this is a smoker that we use to light the wood on fire that mm-hmm. fills that. The brain chamber, as I guess you would say, uh, filled with uh, with smoke, which cold smokes the oysters. So cool. Yeah. Um, okay, so we're gonna get more into that about what is Oyster Week, what's the occasion for today in just a moment. But first, um, Hannah and I just came from a very important meeting, and that's related to our announcement today because less than two months from now is our tenth anniversary um, gala, and we could not be more excited. Um, as, as, as some of our listeners probably know, and, and folks who have been um, lucky enough to attend our gala for the past two years, um, it is a big, fabulous, decadent, taste-around gathering at um, the Brooklyn Botanic Gardens in the beautiful Palm House and Yellow Magnolia Cafe, which is just one of my favorite places in the world. It's so beautiful, and we have just the most amazing all-star lineup of chefs, of cocktail makers um, coming to join us to uh, feed all of our amazing supporters. Um, uh, uh, our Hall of Famers will be um, in attendance. Um, as those of you listening probably have heard, we have our amazing 10th anniversary Hall of Fame. Um, so we're honoring food world luminaries who have been working hard to make the world more equitable, sustainable, and delicious. Um, many of them will be in attendance, and we're really excited for. Um, our Hall of Famers, our listeners, our friends, our hosts all come together and celebrate 10 years of food radio. We are so incredibly excited. Um, so if you're listening and you haven't gotten your tickets yet, um, now's the time. Yes. Um, we have an early bird special going on until October, October 10th. 10th. Um, so there's a tickets are discounted um, from now until then. Um, we have a bunch of different ticket options depending on the type of experience you're looking for. It's going to be a night to remember, and uh, we can't wait to see you there. You can find tickets and more information at heritageradionetwork.org slash gala. Woo. Can't wait. Be there, be square. <laughs> um, okay, so Kevin and Miriam, where should we start today? Should we start with cocktails or oysters? I always I always start with cocktails. <laughs> All right. So we're going to start with cocktails. Miriam, um, tell us a little bit about Ruta and kind of the work you do there as master distiller. Okay, so I work for this amazing small distillery in the Netherlands. Um, it's almost 150 years old. It was founded in 1872. Wow by Simon Rutter, and it's been a family-owned company. I'm the first master distiller from outside the company. And uh, what we make there is gin in Geneva. Um, Not everybody's um, very aware of what Geneva is, which is very logical because it doesn't really uh, exist yet in the United States. It's around, but very little. It's actually the forerunner for gin. So it all started in the Netherlands, and the Dutch people, they started to distill grain and added juniper berry uh, to it. And uh, the juniper berry, Dutch word for that is Geneva Besh, Geneva berry. So that's where the word Geneva comes from. And in the end, also the word gin comes from the Dutch word Geneva. And uh, that's what we do. So we get alcohol in and then we get lots of beautiful botanicals in, juniper berries, but also cinnamon and oranges and grapefruit and, and uh, celery and you name it. Anything you can think of, hundreds of botanicals and that uh, we make into beautiful recipes and beautiful spirits so they can be used in cocktails. 
I feel like obviously Jen has been along for a very long time, but for some reason lately, I feel like a lot of people have started to say, Jen is my spirit of choice. Have you been noticing that? And if so, like, why do you think that is? Very much so. I've been 16 years with the Ritter Distillery. And when I came there, we had gin as we have like 80 different products. We've been around for so long. So we've have, we have all these old recipes, all these old products. So we had gin, but maybe we sold 50 bottles a year in our own little shop uh, next to the distillery. So it doesn't, didn't really exist on a bigger scale. And uh, it, was, it used to be very popular in the 30s. Uh, in the Netherlands, in Europe, as a, as a fashion that blew over from the United States back to Europe. But then in late 30s, the crisis came, and then we had a couple of wars, and mm-hmm. so it, it all finished. And now it's sort of coming back. So the, the gin disappeared for a long time, until like, yeah, maybe five, six, seven years ago. It, uh, it became a hype, especially in Europe, and it grew like crazy. And uh, now it's huge. So we literally took it out of the shop and started making it at a bigger scale again. That's amazing. And that's and, and the great thing about the Rota Distillery is that we have all these old recipes and we have all these products because in one and a half century you gather anything. So when it comes back into fashion, you can just have a dig in your old recipe books and go again. Everything that's new, old is new again. Exactly. Yes. I'm curious if you could sort of define for our listeners. Um, I don't think that I've actually ever tasted Jennifer. Um, can you describe what sort of flavors you're going to find that are different from gin? Um, yeah, very much so. Yeah. It is the forerunner and uh, you can still taste that because the alcohol that we use still has the flavor of grain. Mm. So our alcohol is very multi-grainy like in whiskey. Whereas gin is made with neutral alcohol. So if you drink a gin, any gin, uh, you will taste, um, you won't taste the alcohol source really, but you will taste the botanicals only. And in Geneva, you will have botanicals and the source of the mm. alcohol, which is grain. So this grainy multi flavor is very typical for Geneva. So tell us a bit about the cocktail that you have here today. We have here today a Paloma, a twist on the Paloma, because normally a Paloma cocktail is with tequila and grapefruit juice. And we do the Geneva and grapefruit juice. So if you, if you pour the Geneva in your glass, I will, I will show it to you so you can have a taste straight away. It would also be interesting, by the way, to taste it straight in a minute, mm-hmm. the liquids, because then you really get to learn what it is and what it means. Mm-hmm. Uh, get some ice for you. Oh, that's a huge chunk here. It's um, awesome how you can hear that on the mic. Isn't it? Yeah, yeah. that's like, good. Huh? This that's why is the sound of a cocktail being made. That's why it's made. great to have cocktails on the radio. Yeah. Um, so as, oh, as Miriam's making this, Kevin, do you want to jump in and talk a bit about <coughs> Oyster Week? Sure. Um, it's our eighth year, actually, wow. in a row consecutively. We started in 2012 as a means by which to celebrate the <laughs> Oh, we love a pun here. You do. Everyone does. To celebrate the history, culture, cuisine, economy, and ecology of oysters in the Empire State. So it's not just a New York City thing. Long Island is obviously a part, and it's a highly productive and historic oyster-producing region. Um, and oysters be, have been consumed upstate and all around the state for a very long time. So it's a, a celebration of all of those things. Can you talk a little about, about, I think it's really great that you mentioned kind of the ecology of oysters in the area as part of kind of the mission statement. Um, for Again, for listeners who might not know, what role do oysters play in our, our New York oceans? They're here to pair with gin and Geneva. Yeah, this is their <laughs> sole purpose. God. That's how it does God. make it easier if people are not, not used to oysters, pair it with a drink and it suddenly is 
much nicer to start with oysters, isn't it? It really is. I mean, I always say oysters, it's what's before dinner. So try your Ruta Geneva, your, your Old Simon Geneva drink, and let's think about that with oysters. Does it make you want oysters? It does, because <laughs> I think the acidity and the sweetness. Yeah, and that's compared, in the Geneva has this maltiness, so it gives a very full, like, complex flavor. And at Ruta, we distill, like, 12 botanicals in this Geneva. It has nuts, it has uh, carob, it has juniper, it has coriander, it has a lot of different botanicals, and they all pair beautifully with the oysters. Yeah, I think that, like, what you mentioned, that maltiness adds sort of, like, warmth to it, which is exactly. really nice with the citrus. It's good. Exactly. Yeah. And oysters. But seriously, to answer your question, um, you know, we, I'm really a closet environmentalist, right? So what I really did here was created a, a platform for which I could deliver an environmental, I hate that word actually, uh, a me deliver a message about coastal consciousness, a message about habitat um, without being on a soapbox. So the whole point of everything that we've ever done with New York Oyster Week is to uh, uh, create a greater understanding and appreciation for where oysters come from, both in those habitats and the people that grow them. This is an incredibly difficult job to have and these places that we that oysters are native to and that we grow them in are under extreme pressure and it's consequential to all of us. So um, by putting delicious things in people's bellies and uh, ruta celery gin in Geneva at the same time, people have a great time and they're open to discovery and the mess discovering that message that um, is really the core uh, rationale and mission uh, for New York Oyster Week. I'm really interested in, in this mission and the, and the strategy for fulfilling the mission because I think right now, especially on kind of a national climate discussion, so many people are framing um, the ways that we can protect the climate by taking away things and by um, robbing ourselves of like pleasure of like, you can't eat meat anymore because it's bad for the environment. And I think that this is a really unique way that, exactly what you're doing is you're saying, no, we're going to go eat delicious oysters because they're good for the environment. And can you talk more about why oysters are like a net positive for the... Yeah, they're the only uh, thing that we can grow in a farmed environment that's ecologically beneficial. They produce biodiversity. A farm where you grow a bunch of spinach, you cut down a, tr a forest, which was biodiverse, and you plant one crop and you make sure nothing else grows in that space. Yeah. That's farming, right? So that's generally a bad idea. Uh, whereas when you uh, farm oysters, you are essentially creating a habitat that supports up to 200 other species of little creepy crawlies and crabs and cephalopods and th things you can't pronounce and things you can't see without a microscope. Um, and that supports a food chain ab above it. Um, so that's that's what that's why they're it's such a great uh, food to eat. And you know the the for deliciousness aside, you either have a taste for it or you don't, but the nutritional values are fantastic too. So there's a million ways, reasons to eat oysters beyond the ecological benefits of aquaculture. Um, well, whenever you're ready and like have the hands and the capability to start doing some oyster demo with smoking, but also I'm curious about this term, marouar, because I think that might be a term most people haven't heard of, and I think that ties in nicely to, you know, yeah. how oysters are beneficial for the water that they're in. Uh, well, I can't take credit, nor would I, uh, for coining the phrase. A gentleman by the name of John Rowley in Seattle, Washington, came up with the phrase. He's uh, since passed. He was sort of a godfather of the oyster industry. He's a great, great man. I had the pleasure of having oysters with him once in Seattle, um, which was really 
it was fantastic. Uh, he came up with the term. It's uh, really to uh, express the flavor influences on an oyster. So much like wine has terroir, oysters have meroir. Uh, meroir is uh, it influences an oyster in different ways than terroir influences a grape. Obviously, you have soil and humidity and moisture and so forth, um, which creates a, a profile of a grape. With oysters, you have meroir, which is what tide was it coming in, coming out, what plankton was in the water, what zooplankton was in the water, what algae was in the water, uh, what's the mineral makeup of the bottom, were they grown on the bottom, or were they grown on the top, um, where were they grown, <laughs> what species is it? Um, so there's just this infinite combinations of things that affect the flavor profile of an oyster from literally day to day to day. So it's you know just it's endless, <coughs> and how how much you can have fun with that pairing it with cocktails is beyond endless, as well. So that's interesting. Yeah, meroir. And I guess a question for both of you is, what is it about gin and oysters that go together so beautifully? I think like speaking of flavor profiles, there's something that is so complementary, and each each bite of oyster makes you want to take another sip of a gin cocktail. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I, what I think is the, the, the oyster is, of course, salty. It has umami kind of qualities to it. And the gin has as well because it has botanicals, specifically the Ruta celery gin. That's like the perfect match because it has celery in it, not the stick celery that we, you have in salads, but we use the leaves. We distill the leaves. And they, gave a ver- they give a very uh, savory umami kind of feel to the, to the gin. And this particular gin is the perfect match with uh, oysters as you get the celery and the, and the oyster together in, in the back of your mouth. So that's why, yeah, that's why it's such a perfect match. Um, and as Kevin's starting to fiddle with some oysters here, um, digging around in the cooler for the perfect ones, um, Miriam, I want to hear more kind of about, you, you mentioned that you were the first um, master seller from outside of the company. Um, yes. Talk a little bit more about how you came into that role and, um, you know, you're in a pretty male-dominated industry. Exactly. Master distillers, yeah. usually men. Well, what happened is I studied uh, food engineering. And um, when I finished my studies, I actually specialized in dairy, in cheese. I'm a Dutch girl, so the cheese of, uh, industry is very big in the Netherlands, so it was kind of logical for me to specialize in cheese. But when I started working, I got to know the spirit industry, and I thought that was much more interesting. Uh, a lot of craft, a lot of secrecy, a lot of nobody wanting to tell you what they were doing, which I thought was fascinating. So then I got to the Ritter Distillery after, of course, you know, many years in my career. Then the Rutte family actually called me up and they said, uh, could, we know you know about Geneva already. Uh, we know you're a specialist already. Could you come and help? So I thought, okay, I'll just pop by and have a talk. And then I, I was in the distillery and I, f- I just fell in love with the place and with the people and with the fact that John Rutte was peeling oranges by hand. Wow. Um, and uh, with the fact that there was like hundreds of, of, of beautiful ingredients standing around that do, do everything natural, no flavors, no colors added, everything's natural. I just fell in love with the place Rutte itself, you know, and uh, then I said to, the, to, the, um, to John Rutte, you know, hire me. So he did. And then, sadly enough, he passed away a month later. So I, I really didn't have any time to be with him and to learn from him, which was a real pity. But it was also a huge challenge. So trying to find out the old Ritter recipes, uh, trying things out, experimenting, and, and everything was handwritten still. 
it was really, we're talking 2003 when I came there, but it looked like 1903, <laughs> wow. really. So it was really trying to find out about what they did and why. So a lot of testing, a lot of tasting. Which where the engineering comes in. You're having exactly. to kind of reverse engineer things. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. That's the perfect word. Yeah. yeah, that's the perfect word. Thank you. <laughs> and um, yeah, so that's what we did. I mean, then we digitalized all the recipes. And we and today, 16 years later, we still build on the old uh, recipes. For example, the old uh, Simon Geneva is an old recipe. So we still make that. But the celery gin is a new recipe, but based on old recipes. So everything we do has a connection to our past and to the botanical knowledge of the rooted generations uh, before us, mm -hmm. which is very important. Yeah. As we're talking, you're hearing shucking oysters happening. That's what it sounds Excellent like. placement by the microphone, by the way. You like that? A yeah. plus. Not a my plus. first time in the studio. <laughs> so uh, I'd love to hear, like, with your background in, in food science and engineering, um, Miriam, you know, joining the team of a 100-year-old company is, is amazing, um, but sort of as someone who clearly has this, this background in, you know, the engineering side of things, what sort of new perspectives and um, ideas have you brought to the, to the foray since you, since you joined? Well, in, in a distillery, I think it's very much the combination of knowledge and creativity. Mm -hmm. So the knowledge is great, and you the knowledge makes you understand why, for example, coriander and juniper are a great match, mm -hmm. because they share a certain molecules uh, that, that are the same. So when you're really talking about a chemical part of uh, the botanicals, you understand more. Uh, but without creativity, you're nowhere. You know? So the knowledge of uh, me as a food engineer... Uh, the knowledge of the botanical distillers the, from the Rutter family before me. And that together with creativity, that's really key. And I don't know, so often people ask me how it is being a woman. I'm not, I would say I'm not sure. I think men are great in their job as well and they are great uh, tasters and, and have good noses and good flavors. But um, it is very special though, as uh, I'm the first woman uh, in the distillery. And we know from the family we've heard that women weren't even allowed in the production before. And that, obviously, wow. now That's they are. That's pretty wild. And I, I was reading a piece, um, an interview with you that said, you know, often you'll be in the, I think, the tasting room and guests might walk right by you, not realizing that... Yeah, all the time. You're the master distiller. Like, yeah, all the time. You're the one making the product that they're there to taste. Um, yeah. You, you, you basically said, like, I, you know, it doesn't bother me too much. But, like, you know, I think hopefully we want that to change a little bit. How do you hope that that does shift? I say that uh, women should have the combination of knowledge and humor. Uh, knowledge helps, you know, when you start talking, people realize that you, you're knowledgeable and you know things, so that helps. But without humor, you become maybe bitter or, or frustrated when somebody walks by and it doesn't even say hello. And then when they realize I pay the bills, then they come back. Uh, <laughs> or when they know that I make the decisions, and then they come back and then they shake my hand, and then I go like, come on, you idiot. But I, that's, I don't say that, of course. I just laugh at the inside. and. <laughs> You know, so it really helps to try to look at it with humor. So knowledge and humor is the key for um, to enjoy your job and to, you know, move forward. Be able to get through it, yeah. Yeah, and especially in an old place like the Rutte Distillery, it's, uh, it has been very necessary to, to go about things like that. Things don't change overnight. Exactly. Um, okay, Kevin, tell us kind of where you are in the process. We have some beautiful oysters that are now shucked open on ice. Although I murdered these animals, I did it with knowledge and humor. <laughs> there you go. And so <laughs> and they're, they're laughing. The oysters laughing. are laughing. They're laughing. Um, we have some uh, lovely oysters here from Matt Ketchum, actually. Mm. Um, they're called Peconic Olds. They're from the Peconic Bay, which is the water in between the North Fork and the South Fork of Long Island. 
and they're just beautiful briny East Coast oysters. And we have a couple things we can do to them. Um, I have fresh grated wasabi here, and I have some fresh grated horseradish root. We can do that. Um, but first, I think we'll cold smoke them. Okay. And then we'll put a couple little accoutrement on them. Oh, you know what else we have? The greatest thing ever. Mm. Ruta celery gin pearls. The moment we've been waiting for. Okay, let's, yeah. let's okay. leave it at a teaser. I, let's go to a quick break. We're going to smoke <laughs> these oysters, and then we're going to come back, and we're going to tell you what these beautiful pearls in a jar are all about. Can't wait. We'll be right back. Since the mid-1800s, before Wisconsin was even recognized as a state, its resident cheesemakers have been putting the art into artisan cheese. When early settlers from Switzerland, Germany, and Italy came to Wisconsin, they brought their cheesemaking expertise with them. They chose Wisconsin because the terroir reminded them of the homes they'd left behind in northern Europe. The soil and water of Wisconsin is nurtured by the goodness of glacial sediment, and those elements lend themselves to the very best milk. Today, Wisconsin's cheesemakers draw from their rich European heritage and cheesemaking traditions, and combine them with incredible innovation to produce half of the nation's specialty cheese. Wisconsin cheesemakers never stop experimenting, trying to improve, and dreaming of your next favorite cheese that has yet to be imagined. Learn more about Wisconsin's cheesemaking history at wisconsincheese.com. All right, welcome back to HR and Happy Hour. We're here with Miriam Hendricks of Ruta and Kevin Joseph, the founder of New York Oyster Week. Um, okay, so we're, as promised, sipping on a bit of the Geneva Strait and tasting what it is like without being in a cocktail. Kind of thoughts? I think it's absolutely delicious. There's something I, I I personally love the flavor of gin straight, but it can be a little bit like takes a little more warming up of your mouth to kind of get used to the the sharpness of it. I think this is really smooth. Like I think this is is really sippable. Like you mentioned, it's kind of like whiskey, um, and it, and it has that quality where it's just sort of warm and cozy and sippable, but it also has that amazing. Like all the bright botanicals. Wow, you see, you're a really good taster. <laughs> yeah, you can work you want a for job? us. And, yeah. hey, you want a job? <laughs> I, um, what? <laughs> no, because you nail it. You know, you nail it. You HR say, in Thank you. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I, I love to drink gin. I've practiced. <laughs> I've been practicing for you. But gin, as you say, gin is a bit sharper. As yeah. It's often also a bit higher in alcohol. And your whole idea is to mix it in a cocktail mm-hmm. or with a tonic. And Geneva, you can drink either in a cocktail or a mix or straight. And when you drink it straight, you will notice that it has a beautiful balance, mm-hmm. especially this uh, Ritter Geneva as it has hazelnuts and walnuts, and yeah. that makes a very creamy mouthfeel. I feel like it'd be an excellent martini. You wouldn't have to do like anything to it, just like a little rinse of... Mm-hmm. Well, the Martinez, it was actually, uh, when the Martinez was one of the first cocktails in the U.S., and at the time, there was no dry gin. It was only Geneva from oh, the Netherlands. That makes sense. Because yeah. it almost is like, it, it has some of the same qualities that you would have like adding vermouth, but you don't necessarily need the extra ingredient. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I love that. Okay, so we're moving. We're going to follow you back home. Um, <laughs> just drink this all the time. As you See say you this, I just re- I realized to, to the right behind you, Hannah, there's a massive bar of all kinds of like... Yes. Oh, yeah. Incredibly this is, boutique-y. Uh, 
crafty things. Yes. So we have another show on the network called The Speakeasy that's all about ah. cocktail culture and oh, spirits. Wow. And so they've started to accumulate this uh, amazing bar. Amazing well, bar. Well, on Wednesday night, we're having a shuck easy, which is oysters and spirits. Love that. And Rita Celery Gin is highly featured in that event. Okay, so yes, tell us yeah. about the collaboration and the jar, the magical jar you pulled out. We, you know, <laughs> I think it kind of sort of happened serendipitously um, through mutual friends that um, Rita became aware of New York Oyster Week, and we pursued it, and we realized what a great, first of all, what a great pairing the spirit is uh, with really any oyster. And then we started to think about how interesting it was, the, this history between uh, the United States and the Netherlands. Or as Miriam says, Netherlands. 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 You can't say <laughs> Netherlands. Um, you know, we were just doing, we were just talking about it. We, you know, the Dutch came here in 1624. We're, we're sneaking up on 300 years of Dutch influence in New York City, uh, which is a, a, a joke to the Europeans. Who oh, 300 years? That's nice. That's yesterday. Yeah, that's cute. <laughs> that's, that's cute. Look at there's a country. <laughs> um, but um, so we started to experiment with it and talk about it, how we could have fun with it and do different things. And so um, um, here we are. Um, we came up in the process with these uh, what we call spirited pearls. So um, we'll, we'll, we'll dress these oysters that we're going to cold smoke here in a minute with the spirited pearls, which is like, you know, overload, overload, overload of glory, happiness. You'll love it very much. Okay, can you give our listeners a visual of these amazing pearls? Um, Kevin just took this beautiful little jar out, and at first it just sort of looks like it's a clear liquid with some sort of some greenery floating in it, but you look closer, yeah. and, and it, what, what are we looking at? We are looking at a process uh, that is equal parts witchcraft, um, <laughs> magic, and sorcery. Perfect. Whereby we create um, essentially a, a spherified spirit and an agent. So the agent in this case is celery leaf, and the spirit is root to celery gin. And uh, through a process I truly can't describe or explain, um, it's food science. You might be able to do it much he better. He can, he won't. He I can. don't want to give it away either. <laughs> <laughs> I always get the chemicals mixed up. The, the, oh, of course, the calcium of course. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Anybody could figure it. Google spherification easily enough. Yes. Um, we, but what we do is, 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 is unique in the sense that we, we take an agent and, we, and a spirit and we pair those in a sphere with uh, oysters. And um, it's fantastic. It's fun to see happen. The celery inside the sphere when it hits the oyster makes like a snow globe effect. It's it's over the top. We're the only people in the world that do it, and it became a great way for us to uh, really engage the consumer in what, looking at the oyster and looking at the spirit and tasting the oyster and the spirit in a way that is different than a cocktail. Yeah, exactly, because it's, it's beautiful to look at, but when you have it in your mouth, it's also the, the, the sensation of the oyster together with the, with the gin. So if you can't make spheres... If, just let's say you can't do it, <laughs> then it's also nice to just sprinkle a little bit of pure gin on your oyster mm. or eat the oyster and then afterwards sprinkle a little bit of liquid in the shell and then drink it out of the shell. Ooh. So the combination with pure gin is great. This is giving me ideas for our gala, maybe. So many ideas. But uh, use, is, is there an oyster bar? Celery there is an oyster bar and last year we had an ice luge for like nice. vodka and I'm thinking maybe we, do, we combine those ideas and do... Have, eat an oyster and then we pour a little bit of gin in their oyster shells. Yeah, How absolutely. fun would that be? 
We'll leave a bottle behind. <laughs> yeah, it is It is great. And you will notice how great the pairing is, especially with the roasted celery. As I said, these leaves, these celery leaves, go mm. so well with the flavor of the oyster. All right, let's 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 give this demo a shot. Um, and... Oh, it's like it's and it's it kind of we were talking about how also it's not the same, but we're bringing back some kind of like older trends that we're going to have a carving station and we're going to what's the other thing we're doing? that's like kind of old school. Um, oh, maybe it maybe the maybe salad bar. The first year of our yes, yeah, a porchetta salad <laughs> the bar. The first year of our gala, the the main event was a very, very fancy chocolate fountain, um, which Honestly, I feel like if we're going to bring it back, the 10th anniversary is the time to, time do to do it. To just make it as incredibly over the top as possible. But I was like, what about like our aspics or our, uh, as we like to call yeah. them in the South, fruit salads, but they're really just jello molds. And like, this is giving me kind of like a jello moldy thing. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you'll see. It's not gelatinous. You'll see. It's it's more like the, it's like a bubble tea. Yeah. Sort of thing. Yeah. I think it's a similar process. Or we actually too. did have something spherified last year, too. We had vegan veggie, caviar. Yeah, veggie caviar. Oh, there you oh, go. Really? Yeah. yeah, and they used to do that. Yeah. Okay. Enough um, chit-chat. Let's get to the oysters. No gin, no gins were injured in the making of these <laughs> pearls. Um, all right. So the best part about this is you get to use a blowtorch to light the smoker. I don't even think Dave Arnold ever had a blowtorch in the studio, which is surprising. Well, the best part about the studio is there's no smoke detector, so... As you can see, the um, globe fills right up. Matt, can we confirm we don't have a smoke detector? We think. I mean, if not, it seems unlikely. Oh, I thought it was about to find out. Yeah, Yeah, we are. (laughs) Well, we can kill it right there because that's plenty of smoke. Spectacular, huh? Oh, it's beautiful. It smells incredible in here now. Yeah, that's a combination, I think, of oak and alder. That's a lot of smoke, huh? Now the glass dome, plastic glass dome is full of smoke. And so tell us a little bit about cold smoke versus like a hot smoke. I don't know anything about it. Okay. I made this shit up. <laughs> I stole it from a bartender. I'm serious. You've seen, we've seen bartenders, yeah. you know, smoking drinks. I said, oh. Yeah. I could do that. Like a smoked whiskey or something. Or scotch. I'm smart enough to figure that out. Heck yeah. Um, foams, other things. We've, you know, for our oyster services at our events, we've uh, sort of borrowed from our friends behind the behind the other bar. Mm-hmm. Um, so cold smoke is just really, you're, there's no heat involved there. They're on ice. And so it's passing through this tube into a dome. The oysters are cold. No heat was generated. If you feel the smoke, it's just, wow. yeah. Now you wouldn't think that the oysters were, are going to absorb that smoke in that short a period of time. It's, it's quite shocking how, yeah. how well mm-hmm. it absorbs it. So what we'll do now is we'll, we'll pearl them. Okay. Here, let me get a little video. So, yeah, of this you have, so this everyone is can highly see it Instagrammable. Home. You might want a boomerang. We'll do five. Yeah. So you can do different, you we're going to do some video and some boomerang. So the best part about it, like I say, is when it hits the um, oyster how the uh, celery inside. Spirals. It, it is like a snow globe. Yeah. It's a verb, snow globing. Some are better than others. My man, Emilio, Emilio Ostra Mayo, made these. He's a magician. They're really beautiful. They beautiful, look like, huh? like marbles almost with the little strands inside. Last but not least, here we go. Oh, that was a good one. They're like snowflakes. No two are alike. <laughs> they don't land the same way. 
So that's it. You know, you basically just take that oyster and eat it as you would eat any oyster. I recommend sipping the liquor first. Mm-hmm. Speaking of meroir. Mm. There you go. Right, so I want to I get a sense for um, where this oyster came from. Also, what, what's great about pairing spirits, particularly with the, uh, celery gin and oysters together, is you, our palates have the ability to discern between the meat of the oyster and the spirit. Mm. So instead of confusing our palates, we sort of delight them. And this, I think, is true of really all spirits. Uh, or vinegar, which is why mignonettes are made out of vinegar. So we're, we're meaning to be able to uh, receive the, the brine and the minerality and the other uh, the sweetness at the end of an oyster. We want to receive that. Um, at the same time, we want to sort of delight our palate with something else at the same time. And so this is just the perfect delivery vector, um, and it's entertaining. But Yeah, we often talk about mouthfeel as well. Like, you know, the oyster is very slippery in your mouth, very soft whereas the gin is sharper and takes away the softness. So the contrast between the mouthfeel of the oyster and the gin is perfect. All right, so this is the moment of truth. We're getting our oysters ready. The question is, can we produce a slurping sound effect? I think we can manage. All right. (laughs) All right. right, Ready? First, first we're going to take the oyster. Now, some of your listeners might not really, you know, I get this, because I get this question all the time. How do I eat an oyster? Really? Do I chew it? I'm serious. Well, let's hear it from the all expert. The time. Right. So first thing, you treat it like a glass of wine. Mm-hmm. This is essentially a marine grape. So you would sip the liquor as you're sort of smelling it. You could taste the smoke right there. Oh, yeah. Holy wow. smokes. And then you obviously smell it. And then you take the whole thing from the leading edge. You're holding it at the hinge. And you pour it into your mouth. And in this case, you're looking to chew the pearl and pop it and the oyster thoroughly, like 30, 40 chews mm-hmm. at the same time. Okay. Here let's do it. Thanks for having us. Mm. I don't know if I chewed it enough, but it's excellent. The oyster or the pearl? Both. The combination the of broke. the two. Exactly, the combination. <laughs> yeah. That was wonderful. Those are very uh, briny oysters. Um, or at least mine was. I don't know, was yours really salty? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But with the the smokiness, yeah. was the perfect. That little sip of the liquid was amazing. There's a lot going on there. I'd almost prefer to just do it with without the smoke. Actually, yeah. I'll, we'll do another one. All right. Um, or let's sprinkle. Let's just sprinkle, like you said. Let's sprinkle a little gin on there. Okay. As we so as we shuck this next round, and then we're gonna taste some more. Let's go ahead. I'm gonna get some trivia started. We cool. always end our show with trivia, and we can take a break between questions if you want to talk more. Okay. But. Obviously, our trivia this week is oysters. Okay. It's oyster specifically. Am I excluded? Uh, it's not the kind of oyster trivia you might think. Oh. We never make it too literal because that might be too easy. It's more oysters and pop culture. Okay. Cool. So question number one, and every... Nicole, Kevin, please jump in to help if you want. Um, question number one... In what classic Disney movie do two characters seduce naive baby oysters out from the sea and proceed to eat them? Wow. <laughs> I don't know. The Dutch lady here is never going to L- get Little it. Mermaid? <laughs> the Mermaid movie? No. I think it's, uh, it's like Alice in Wonderland. That's right. Oh, really? Uh, what? Our intern. No, I thought that was Walrus and Carpenter. Yeah, but that's, that scene is in Alice in Wonderland. Oh, is it? Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm, nice. It's pretty twisted. But you never actually see the walrus eating the oysters. It like cuts away. He tricks the carpenter in going uh, into the right. kitchen, and then he comes back and he's eating them all. Mm. 
All right. Question number two. What Japanese food film features a romantic scene involving a gangster, a pearl diver, and an oyster? Could you repeat the question, please? What Japanese food film features a romantic scene involving a gangster, a pearl diver, and an oyster? Lost in translation. No. It's older than that. <laughs> uh, I wouldn't know. I'll give you a hint. It's what, by more pearl diver, do you mean dishwasher? Or literally? T- literal pearl diver. This oh. isn't a tempopo, is it? It is. It is. It's one it's of the vignettes. Yeah. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Tempopo, which is more associated with ramen. Mm. Yeah, yes. I wouldn't have okay. thought of that. Question number three. What epic 1960s film includes a scene where the actor Laurence Olivier asks his scene partner, Tony Curtis, whether he prefers snails or oysters? Oh, wow. I'll give you a hint. It involves a scene where hundreds of people say they have the same name. Mm. Spartacus. Correct. Nicole with Spartacus. Spartacus. (laughs) Nice. All right, question number four. In the 1940s Three Stooges film, Dutiful But Dumb, which of the Three Stooges battles a mischievous oyster hiding in a stew? <laughs> oh, yeah. It's one out I of three. I remember the scene. I don't remember who it was. Did you have the Three Stooges in Europe? No. I, I guess we had it, but I, I really don't know. I had Benny Hill, I'll tell you that. I've always been more of a Marx Brothers girl. Oh. Uh, uh, what's it? Mo. No. Larry. No. Curly. Curly. There we go. <laughs> You're going to get there eventually. All right, last question. This is a weird one, and I apologize in advance. What former Apprentice contestant starred in his own comedy documentary series and in one dining scene said, well, he's eating an oyster. He said, what's good about this is you suck the oysters up and you always keep some on your face to let the oysters know you're proud of it. I veto this question. <laughs> Exactly. Wow. It couldn't have been Trump because he would never eat something as. No, he as only as eats uh, well done steaks. Gringo tacos, yeah. yeah. And steaks. Okay. Yeah, I don't want to know. <laughs> well, we have, we have two abstentions and <laughs> a European. <laughs> the answer is Gary Busey. Okay. That guy will okay. eat anything. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. All He's, right. Is he a verb yet? He has to be, right? I mean, if you got Gary Busey'd, yeah. that would mean something. <laughs> okay, well, that question didn't count, so you won trivia. Yeah, I won? Yeah. What? Everybody won. Okay. Oh, okay. Oh, it's a team. It's a team sport. Just saying, it's a team right. sport. <laughs> that was our oyster trivia. Everyone always wins trivia. <laughs> no, don't tell them that, Hannah. Um, okay, so we're going to try one more round of oysters, um, and we're going to just do them with just the gin, or just the... Mm-hmm. Or Jennifer? Sure. I, cool. I think we should just, yeah. Okay. I love this idea. I do, too. Should, do you think we should add a little of the horseradish or just leave it clean Ooh. with the gin? You guys are mm. the experts. I'd like, you, I'd like you guys just to taste okay. that really classic pairing. Okay. We could do another one. We'll eat as many oysters as you would like us to eat. Don't worry. We're running out. <laughs> <laughs> um, I like that you ha- bring your oysters around in a Yeti cooler. Yeti's the best. You have strong you know. feelings, yeah? I do because I mean I can't be you know I can't be I have so many coolers, and I re- I rely on these things because I'm either moving you know a dozen like this to come to something like this, or thousands of them to bring them to an event somewhere and you know it can't things can't break so yeah. you know it's worth the money to me for sure. So question about Marwar. Um, would you say that 
it's it's a quality that is distinctive to oysters because of the the way that they exist in the ecosystem um that they carry so much of the flavor of the the place um or is that something that you can kind of recognize in other fish or or shellfish or crudo i think i think other fin fish Mm -hmm. or crustaceans um their flavor is more driven by their species Mm -hmm. um I could Maybe stand to be challenged more. on that, but I, I actually think... Um, they say, though, you are what you eat. Yeah, right. for every organism, right? I think. I mean, if you think about it hard enough, you can taste some seaweed in the lobster you're eating, I, I suppose, but... Um, or you can tell a difference between, like, a farmed salmon and a wild salmon, I would imagine. For sure, you can tell But you tell maybe that. couldn't tell, like, yeah. a salmon that lives, like, in slightly different locations. Right. Wild salmon. Right, right. Or what As time much. Yeah, it was harvested. I wouldn't think so, actually. No. Interesting. I wouldn't think so. So, yeah, oysters are special. Yeah. There's so many yes, special they things are. about oysters. I'm surprised you haven't asked, asked the aphrodisiac question yet. Are we in love yet? Are we all in love? <laughs> <laughs> well, that was in the Tampopo Let's have some more gin. We'll see scene. how it goes. All right, let's, uh, let's sprinkle some gin on those bad boys. That Tampopo scene is, like, pretty wild. Have you seen Have you seen it? I haven't seen it in years and years and years. The, the gangster buys an oyster from the diver, and he's like, can I buy one? And then she shucks it for him, and he, he like puts it up to his lips, and he cuts his lip, and then he eats the oyster, and then she, like, licks the blood off of his lip, and then they start making out. So I guess wow. it, it is, is an aphrodisiac. I was going to say. Do you find that when you go to oyster events, are people falling for each other left and right? Or do they ask that question a lot? Uh, people ask that question all the time, and so we're going to capitalize on this. Okay. We're going to create an event in October ah. called O-Date. O-Date. So O-Date, <laughs> October Oyster, there's other words to start with O. Um, Whatever could will they be. It will be a dating event, a singles event for people that share a love for oysters. So you can come to this event and try different oysters and, and compare which ones are your favorite, um, what you prefer, what you don't prefer, what what tastes you get in a flavor profile. Mm. So it was great icebreakers in that. That's so fun. It's going to be fun, yeah. I love that. So, so you will try now the gin has been sprinkled on top. This is one way to do it. You can also say we do the oyster and then sprinkle some in the shell afterwards and drink it. That's also a nice way to do it. Mm. That should be an expression. What do you want, some gin with your oysters? Mm. For like when you're being... Or some oysters with your gin. Okay, yeah, right. see, I think... <laughs> I think you might be right. I think I like this almost more. Yeah. There's too much going on with the smoke, and it's, but I kind of wanted it's to, I know we it's have time time constraints, so I wanted to. Yeah. yeah. That was delicious. Okay, yeah. Well, I think that's a fabulous way to end. Um, well, to really end this up, in, in the show, let's quickly, let, where can people learn more about both Ruta and New York Oyster Week? And then, Kevin, if you want to give us a little bit of an overview of the events coming up. Well, Rutter is sold here in New York by Empire Merchants. So if you phone them up, they will know exactly uh, where you can get it and how to buy it. And uh, if you're really interested in this particular uh, combination, of course, you have to ask for Rutter's celery gin. Mm. Excellent. Website? Uh, Rutter.com. Great. What um, bar or restaurant in New York City offers... Ruta and how who sells the most? We can probably we find know? that online to see where... We'll where. put it in the show notes. Yeah. Okay, yeah. we'll figure it out. Um, well, New York Oyster Week started today, starts today. It's our eighth annual. Um, we're um, partnering with the Billion Oyster Project um, for their party tonight, which is unfortunately and fortunately sold out. It's called Harbor Up. It's a fundraiser for them. Uh, so that's the official launch event of New York Oyster Week. And then tomorrow we have Shuck Easy, 
um, uh, that's the 18th, and that's at uh, Sweetwater Social. So that's a oyster and spirits or cocktail forward event uh, where we'll be pouring lots of uh, rotisserie gin cocktails um, and actually pairing them with all five species of oysters. So this is unusual, something to learn about oysters. There's five species that are commonly consumed in the United States, mostly because this is what we can get from the countries we can bring them in from. And um, very, very, very seldomly do we get all five in the same place. And so the hardest one to get is the Olympia. That's the native West Coast um, uh, oyster from America, West Coast. And uh, my man, Marco Pincho, I have to give him a huge shout-out because I called him yesterday at like 3 o'clock at Chelsea Farms in Washington. I said, hey, what are the odds you can get your hands on a couple hundred ollies and send them to me? He said, um, 100%, I can go right now and put them in UPS. <coughs> so he's my hero today. We're having wow. Olympias. Awesome oyster, Mark Twain's favorite oyster, James Beard's favorite oyster, tiny little things, beautiful. Uh, and then we have on uh, the 26th, I'm sorry, the 27th, we have the first ever, first anywhere, Mexican Oyster Showcase. Mexico mm. produces great oysters on its Pacific coast, and so we're calling this Ostra Libre, and it's Una Fioista Grande. Love it. So we're going to feature um, all these great Mexican oysters. Uh, and then we have, um, on the 26th, we have a Hoisters, which just got confirmed last night. So that's a, a big yacht that we're going to cruise around on and slurp Hoisters. Sounds like mm, fun. Yeah. That's good. That's always good. Um, if I can, if I can yeah. add something with the drinks, if all, in all these wonderful events, you can try it straight like we just did. But don't forget also the Red Snapper, which is uh, the combination vodka with tomato and Tabasco and some spices. It's tomato you say here in the united states sorry mm -hmm. tomato celery oysters perfect yeah tomatoes always good that's why you see sometimes oysters and bloody marys yep yeah celery is just such yeah, a but, great flavor with it yeah but like bloody marys are great but do it with rotisserie gin the celery is just the the, the link yeah really. wow totally is it true of um bloody marys as it is with martinis that it's, re it's really a gin drink because martinis are really a gin drink. This vodkaization is a bastardization of a martini, isn't it? it? Is. So I'm, is not, that I'm the master distiller. I know all about the liquids, not so much uh. about the cocktails. I do know about the martini that it was originally not even gin, but Geneva. Um, I don't know. I think cool. most most things can be improved with gin. That's right. just yeah. me, though. Hey, that's a good. Your that's mood. Very good. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Exactly. Well, now that everyone's mouth is watering, um, we're gonna eat some more oysters. But I think that's that's our show. Uh, website for New York Oyster Week. www.newyorkoysterweek.com. All right. So go check it out. Make sure you catch some of these events. Do not miss out on oysters this week. Eat oysters. Be They're happy. good for the environment. <laughs> be happy. Yes. Okay. Thanks, Hannah. Thanks, Kat. Thanks, Kevin. Thanks, Miriam. Thanks, thanks you guys. Thanks, our guys. interns, Kevin and Nicole, and thanks to our engineer, Matt. I'm Kat Johnson. Happy Oyster Week, Goodbye. everybody. Goodbye. Bye-bye. This program is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please... Join our community by becoming a member. 
Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.